Legends of the First Empire, Age of Myth, by Michael J. Sullivan. Chapter 10, The Galantians. There is an old clan saying, when a stranger comes to the door, always be generous because it might be a god in disguise. In my experience, gods do not use disguises. They are too arrogant. The Book of Bryn. The next morning, they found six dead wolves outside the wall. No sign of Grin the Brown, only the bodies and the blood spattered on the crevices stone walls. Suri paused for several minutes beside the wolf with the burn mark on his fur. The men kept their blankets, but Persephone and Suri put the others back. Wraith also took the metal shield that had fallen during Grin's attack. Remarkably light, it was decorated with the same fancy circles and designs as those on the walls of the roll. Wraith offered to draw straws with Malcolm for it, but the ex-slave declined. He preferred the spear and needed both hands to wield it. A morning mist filled the forest. In the days he and Malcolm had spent in the Crescent, Wraith had seen it many times, but the haze was still unnerving. There were no forests in Dorea, and the few trees that managed to grow were stunted, emaciated things. He'd grown up in open, rocky highlands of grass and leaching-covered stone, and it felt unnatural to be surrounded by trees and wrapped in fog. The haze further supported Wraith's belief that they were walking the perilous world of guarded secrets and murky mysteries. Trees appeared and faded in the mist as if by choice. Silent watchers, sentinels of spirits and gods. Caught early enough, the waking force had no time to disguise itself into something mundane. This was a place of enchantments, a place where anything could happen. Suri led them back through the falls and up to the ridge, taking time to explain where they had gone wrong. The mystic pointed at trees as if one could be distinguished from another. When she was done, all three nodded, even though Wraith remained clueless. By the time they returned to the cascade, the mist was in full retreat and lingered only in isolated, low-lying areas. The men's bodies were gone. Persephone scanned the rocks with apprehensive eyes. Wraith created a mental list of who or what might have taken the men. Spirits, more wolves, Grin the Brown, Wogan, or perhaps the inhabitants of the doll. That last one troubled him, but his empty stomach concerned him more. He wanted to ask Persephone if she intended to make good on the promise of a meal, but he refrained. They hadn't spoken much that morning. The quiet of the wood demanded silence. When at long last they cleared the tree line and returned to the open field, all of them, except Suri, gained a spring in their step. Once more, the blue of a peerless sky stretched above, and the unhindered face of the sun shone down. The great wooden wall of Dalren crowned the hill of spring flowers. Wet grass soaked their legs as they climbed the slope where Wraith already could smell food. As they neared the top, a horn announced their approach. That's an all clear, right? Wraith asked Persephone. She nodded holding the hem of her dress up and exposing sodden sandals speckled with bits of grass. It would be two blasts for an alert and three for a call to arms threat. Same as in Dorea, he said. Persephone nodded, smiling. I'm just so glad to be back. I don't think I've ever missed this place so much. It feels like I've been away for a year rather than only a day. A long and incredibly frightening year. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Suri stopped. I expect you can find your way from here, ma'am? Yes, Suri, Persephone rolled her eyes. I don't think I can get lost within sight of my home. But won't you please come with us? The least I can do is get you a meal. 
You saved my life. You have to let me do that much. The girl hesitated, then glanced at Mia. What do you think? Their food was pretty good. Come, eat, spend the night, Persephone told her. You can leave fresh in the morning. The girl whispered to the wolf, One more night won't make us touch Mina. But if you see me wearing shoes, bite me. Wraith discovered that Dal Ren was nothing like Dal Dorea. Inside, the village was huge and packed with roundhouses built with the luxury of logs sealed with daub. The thickly thatched roofs formed tall, cone-shaped peaks. Torches lined gravel paths that snaked between the homes, and a broad gravel avenue ran up the center of the village to the lodge and the commonwealth. Filling gaps between dark soil gardens were fire pits and wood piles. Wood piles! In Dorea, wood was more precious than metal. Here, the villagers burned it even though it wasn't winter or night. The series of vertical logs surrounding the village were crucial for protection, and even inside, wooden fences bordered gardens, probably the only way to keep goats and pigs out. Along with chickens, the animals wandered freely underfoot. Wraith checked Mina, but the wolf paid no attention to any of the livestock and stayed at the mystic side. Dominating everything was the lodge. The huge building sat in the middle of the doll at the opposite end of the gravel pathway. Perched on a foundation of stone, the big wooden house was four times the size of Dorea's lodge. Squared beams braced the peaks and framed great doors. Pillars formed by binding together the trunks of six giant pine trees stood on either side of the porch. On the left side of the path leading to the lodge, two braziers flanked a stone statue of a god. The sculpture stood only three feet tall and had vaguely human features dominated by large breasts and wide hips. Durayans had their own god, the Minogan, who were actually three gods, the gods of war. Dalren's god looked friendlier. There were more people there than Wraith had ever seen gathered in one place. As many as a hundred walked the pathways, worked the well or tended gardens. Most were women and children. One of the few he saw was a potter, a cripple, who sat huddled over an odd spinning table, shaping wet clay. A cripple? Wraith pondered this. How wealthy is this place that it can afford to feed a cripple? His answer was visible in the healthy faces of those around him. In Dorea, those who survived the winter looked like skeletons. These men and women were downright pudgy, well-dressed too, done up in neatly tailored tunics, thick woolen laymores, and breckenmores large enough for double folds. Most of the clothes were dyed or padded in one fashion or another, and Wraith felt embarrassed for his crude leather and thin checkered cloth. His shame was compounded by all the stares greeting them. Wraith had expected looks. Everywhere he and Malcolm went, there had been stares, but these were more pronounced. The people of Dal Ren dropped gourds filled with water and bundles of wood. One stared so hard that he walked into a fence post and nearly fell. Those working on roofs climbed down, and those swinging mattocks in the garden stopped. Everyone watched in shock, as if the members of his group each had three heads and a tail. What surprised Wraith was that they weren't restricting their attention to Malcolm and himself. As Persephone led them up the gravel path towards the lodge, people stared at her most of all. And there were whispers, lots of whispers. Her name muttered more than once. They were nearly to the large steps when a woman called from the roundhouse door. Seph, she frantically motioned them closer. Where have you been? Persephone gestured toward the woman. Wraith, Malcolm, Suri, this is Sarah, the one I told you about. She's one of Wren's best weavers, 
Her husband, Delwyn, is. Sarah grabbed hold of Persephone's wrist and pulled her inside. The men in Surrey followed. The roundhouse's wall was covered in paintings, and the room was filled with rich wool. A spinning wheel and a large loom dominated the space. Inside were two more people, a young woman working a spinning wheel and a girl beside her, carding wool. Both stopped their work the moment the group entered. What really happened? I don't believe any of it, not for a second. Sarah wrung her hands as if strangling an invisible chicken. What are you talking about? Persephone asked. Sarah, what's wrong? Sarah, whose braided hair framed a kind but troubled face, glanced nervously at Wraith and Malcolm. She took hold of Persephone's hand. Hegner has accused you of murdering Sackett and Adler. What? Persephone's voice registered somewhere between a yell and a scream. Hegner? Hegner is here? I thought he had run off. He said you tried to kill him too, Sarah said. With another glance at Wraith and Malcolm, she added, and that you had help. Persephone seemed too dumbfounded to speak. She stared at each of them in shock. Why in the name of the grandmother of all couldn't you have killed the stump too? The woman working the spinning wheel asked. Long, black hair wreathed a face of high cheeks, a sensual mouth, and a delicate nose, all of which paled in comparison to her eyes. Big, dark, deep, and intense. To look into them was to peer over the edge of a sheer drop. The woman wore a simple, thin dress, but draped over her curves, it came alive. Durain women were valued for strong backs rather than their looks, and even the most beautiful of them never looked this way. In legend, women like her would either lure men into disaster or raise them to fame. The dilemma for the would-be hero was determining which. Conagher is making me marry that cretin, she announced and scowled. Moya, please, Sarah snapped. Outside, the open doorway, people gathered. They spoke quietly to one another and pointed to the group inside Sarah's roundhouse. Persephone finally regained her composure. I didn't kill anyone. Hegner attacked me. All three of them did. That's not the story he's telling. What possible reason would I have to... I need to get this cleared up. Persephone turned and walked out. Wraith followed the others out, even though he was uncomfortable in crowds as he had been in the forest. Too many people were like too many trees. In Dorea, villages consisted of only a few families. But here, nearly 200 people now gathered in front of the steps, and more were spilling out of the roundhouses. All of them had the same rosy cheeks, well-fed faces. Faces without pockmarks or the deep lines cut by blistering winds. Also missing were the scars, broken teeth, and severed fingers that a life of warfare bestowed. And not one carried a weapon. Instead, they held hollow gourds, chisels, and mallets. One fellow carried a basket of eggs. Wraith expected Persephone to confront those just outside Sarah's house, but instead, she pushed through them and marched down the broad pathway past the well and on up the steps of the lodge. At the top, she stopped, pivoted, and faced the people of the doll. She waited for a moment while the crowd gathered. Then, in a loud voice, she said, Yesterday, Sackett... Adler and Hegner tried to kill me in the forest. She paused, probably for the full weight of the statement to settle in. They chased me up a cascade, and Sackett and Adler both died when they slipped and fell on rocks. I don't know why they attacked me. They didn't. That's not how Hegner tells it. A stocky man stepped through the lodge's doorway behind Persephone. He wore the silver torque of leadership. Wraith's first thought was that the man's beard was short for a leader, and he disliked the chieftain's eyes. They didn't seem even, 
the left one being slightly higher than the right. The only visible scar was a recent one, still pink and healing, hardly the mark of an experienced warrior. Wayland, Dorea's chieftain, had a beard down to his chest, few teeth, and a face like beaten copper. That was the mark of experience, the sign of a survivor. The Ren chieftain did have one thing no one in Dorea had. He carried an axe. At the sight of it, Wraith pushed to the foot of the steps. This wasn't his clan, and this man wasn't his chieftain. Wraith didn't have a stake, other than a promised meal, in whatever dispute was about to start, but he had come to like Persephone. Undecided only a day before, he knew if there was a fight, he'd back her. Persephone turned to face her chieftain. Then Hegner's a liar, Conniger. Is he? If Sackett, Adler, and Hegner sought to kill you, why aren't you dead? Conniger folded his arms and glared. Do you expect anyone to believe two experienced hunters slipped and fell? Are you saying you had nothing to do with their deaths? Persephone opened her mouth to speak. Hegner! Conniger called to the darkened interior of the lodge. You were there. You're the one she's accusing. Tell everyone what you witnessed. The one-handed man appeared from the shadows and stepped onto the porch. We were out hunting and found her on the cascades with those two fellows there. He pointed with his good hand at Wraith and Malcolm. I shifted toward them, and those closest inched away, which was fine by Wraith. We thought Persephone needed help. Him being Duran and all, could have been in trouble. She must not have seen us yet because she kissed the big one. A woman sporting a circlet of flowers over braided hair also emerged from the lodge. She stood to the side and slightly behind Conniger. Hearing Hegner's words, she began shaking her head while looking at Persephone. Regalin isn't dead a month, and you're already carrying on with another man? Or were you seeing this lover before our chieftain died? Were you stealing away into the forest while your husband was out avenging your son? You lousy, lying coal! Moya burst out and pushed forward. She might have reached the steps if Sarah and a few others hadn't caught her. Watch your mouth, Conniger snapped. Outbursts like that are why we ordered your marriage, said the woman with the circlet, whom Wraith concluded was the second chair, Conniger's wife. You're a wild animal, Moya. Hegner will beat some respect into you. Moya thrashed but was held back. Go on, Hegner, Conniger said. Yeah, well, like I was saying, they were kissing... But we still wanted to check things out. She certainly looked willing and had her arms around him and stuff, but you never know. He might have been forcing himself on her. We climbed the cascade, and when Persephone saw us, she told them we couldn't be allowed back to the doll. She said it would ruin everything if people found out. That's when these two attacked. The big one has a sword, two in fact, and we didn't stand a chance. He killed Sackett and Adler. Would have killed me too if I hadn't run. Why are you saying these things? Persephone asked Hegner. She didn't seem angry. If anything, she sounded hurt. But most of all, her tone and the shake of her head expressed bewilderment. You know none of that is true. The crowd had expanded out beyond the well and the stone god. Most of Clan Ren filled the broad pathway leading from the lodge steps to the front gate, where they stood shoulder to shoulder on the crushed gravel. A few kids were out near the closest roundhouses, standing up on roughly cut benches near fire pits to try to see over the heads of their parents. The crowd murmured as people talked among themselves. Conniger raised his hands to quiet them. It's your turn, Persephone. What motive do you put forth? For I can see no reason why three of our most distinguished men would attack you without provocation. Persephone shook her head. I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out since it happened. 
but these three were with me, and they can testify as witnesses on my behalf. It was Conagher's turn to shake his head. It's reasonable to assume they'll take your side. We would need someone impartial. Was there anyone else? Persephone clenched her fists. No. But can't the same be said of Hegner? Who are his impartial witnesses? The chieftain stroked his beard. You make a good point. But two men are dead. That fact isn't in dispute. I find it difficult to accept that two experienced hunters would merely fall to their deaths. He focused on Wraith. And Durayans are well known for their murderous ways. Wraith shoved the two people in front of him aside and climbed the steps to stand before Hegner. He called me a murderer. The words rolled out in the growl. In Durea, an accuser will defend their claims in battle. I imagine this custom holds true in all dolls. He glanced at Conagher. I demand that he take it back and his lies against this woman, or we'll let the gods decide the truth. We can settle this matter right now. He let his hand rest on the handle of the sword. You challenge a one-handed man? The wife said. How like a Duran. What does that matter? He pointed at Hegner. If he tells the truth, the gods will award him victory, even if he had no hands, and just his vile mouth. Or don't you believe in the gods? With a disdainful shake of his head, he added, so like a southerner. You are violent, disrespectful, and no doubt a liar, the wife declared, shaking her head. Don't you see how you're proving Hector's point? You don't think we can see what is really going on? She lifted her voice to the crowd. What more proof is needed? The killer who helped Persephone is Duran. The gods will tell the truth of it, Wraith barked and moved toward Hegner. Conagher stepped between Wraith and the one-handed man. The angry murmur of the crowd rose. Wraith had hoped to get a good meal, a decent night's sleep, and maybe some food for the road. Instead, he found himself accused of murder and facing off with a doll chieftain on the steps of the lodge in front of a herd of pampered villagers. Perhaps Shigarn wasn't a god, but he sure must have been favored by them. Since he had killed the fray, Wraith's lives had been cursed. His only consolation was that it couldn't get any worse. Then, the horn sounded. It blew once, twice, then three times. Everyone's attention turned toward the far end of the broad pathway as men scrambled to seal the gate with a thick wooden beam. From the wall came the shout. The gods are here! Persephone watched as fear ripped through those gathered. All eyes turned to the chieftain, but Conacher didn't inspire confidence. He stared at the gate and swallowed hard. Turn together the crossroad! Cobb shouted from his perch on the wall beside the gate. Definitely coming this way! What do we do? Virgin the brewer asked. He twisted the dirty towel in his hands. Even Tressa looked at her husband expectantly, but Conagher didn't move, didn't speak. How many are there? Persephone shouted across the doll. Nine! Cobb yelled back. Well, there's seven gods and two other things. What do we do? Tressa whispered to her husband. The chieftain ran a hand over his mouth. He looked left and then right, breathing heavily. Conagher, you need to go out there. Persephone said. Meet them on the road before they reach the doll. Talk to them. I'll come with you to translate. Conacher looked at her then. She expected anger, a seething glare. Maybe he would hit her now. Persephone would have preferred a slap to what he gave, a terrified, bewildered expression. He thinks we're already dead. I'll do no such thing, Conacher shook his head. That would be suicide. Our walls are thick and our gate strong. We'll be safe here. 
Persephone searched the crowd and found Malcolm. She came down from the steps and grabbed him by the arm. Will the walls hold them? Malcolm shook his head. Your walls are made of wood. Even stone would only slow them down. Persephone looked out at the faces. Mothers took the hands of children, their heads turning back and forth between the gate and Conagher. Husbands held their wives close, and tears formed in the eyes of many as hope faded. They all began to understand that their chieftain wouldn't save them. There are things beyond the control of men, and the will of God is one of them. They're at the grazing line, Cobb shouted, his voice starting to shake. Persephone turned away from Malcolm and focused on Wraith. He stood on the steps, one hand still on his sword. It was big, his shoulders broad, his face stern. God, killer. Everyone, she shouted, climbing back up the steps. Listen to me. This is Wraith of Durea, the God Killer. She looked at him, trying to determine their chances in his expression. He was definitely angry, maybe even furious, but she saw no fear. Cobb says there's nine of them. How many did you fight last time? Persephone asked Wraith. He didn't answer. Thirteen, Bryn said. According to the stories, he faced Shigon and twelve of his men. After he defeated the leader, all the others fled. Fewer this time. Can you do it again? Persephone asked. Wraith exchanged a hard look with Malcolm. There's a big difference between that story and what really happened. Perhaps, but if they plan on repeating what happened at Dorea, then you'll die with us, she said. You're sure the gate won't hold them? Wraith asked Malcolm. No more than a garden fence. So there really isn't a choice, is there? Wraith sighed in resignation. Tell them to open a gate. No, Conacher came to life. You can't let them in. Didn't you listen? Gifford said, hopping forward and leaning on the crutch Rowan had made. They'll smash the gate. He looked at Malcolm with his squinted eye. Maybe being gods, they might just tell it to walk away and up it will go. We have the god killer, Bryn said. A smile bloomed across her face. Hers was the only one. They'll probably run when they find out he's here. Bryn, for the love of Marie, be quiet, Sarah pleaded with her daughter. Wraith started down the steps. The crowd parted to grant him a path. Open the gate, Persephone shouted, and then returned to Malcolm's side. He can do this, right? I guess we'll see. They're gods, Conagher shouted. Men can't fight gods. Along with everyone else, Persephone watched the god killer walk alone down the path. You better hope you're wrong. Wraith kept his eyes focused on the gate. The worst that can happen is you'll die a favorite saying of his father's. He'd heard it countless times. During the long winter, when his mother became creative with her meals, even she had used it. Try it. The worst that can happen is you'll die. For a Duran, living on a plain of burning rock and freezing snow, death wasn't feared. Might even be a step up, his father also used to say. Everyone died anyway, and in Duran, most died young. Wraith didn't fear death but he had hoped to marry someday and become a better parent than his father. He wouldn't spend his life off fighting, leaving his family to defend for themselves. Coming so close to Dal Ren had been stupid. He could have veered around it and been miles away if only he stayed in the forest eaves and pushed south as planned. Staying with Malcolm had been an even bigger lapse of judgment. He could have, and should have, abandoned him at the roadhouse. Traveling with a child would have been faster but getting involved with Persephone was his worst mistake of all. How did her problems become mine? Wraith's father wouldn't have been trapped so easily. 
He knew better than to let emotions cloud judgment. Wraith hadn't learned that lesson, despite hearing it so often. After trying for years to avoid following Herkimer's footsteps, it was ironic Wraith would die in the same foolish way. He'd be just one more stupid Duran slain by a fray. There would be a difference, though. He would be the last. Despite Conagher's order, the men of the gate lifted the rough-hewn log free of the hooks and tossed it aside when Wraith approached. They didn't push it open. Once the responsibility was done, the pair bolted like rabbits. Wraith looked back. Persephone stood next to Malcolm, clutching his arm and whispering into his ear. The shake of the ex-slave's head and the look on his face verified what Wraith already knew. He didn't stand a chance. With a sigh, he pushed the heavy gate open and left the doll. Outside, the fray party approached in two lines, walking side by side. Wraith expected exact duplicates of Shigon, but these fray were different. He didn't care for the changes. They wore yellow armor that shone like gold in the afternoon sun. Many had Shigon's blonde hair and draped blue capes of the same shimmering cloth over the shoulders, but these fray had sun-baked skin and bodies of lean muscle. Two weren't fray at all, nor were they human. One was easily the largest being Wraith had ever seen. Twelve feet tall or more, he had a bald head and flat, brutish features. The giant wore only a skirt of leather and straps of hide, and he carried a mammoth sword. The other walked on two legs, but looked more like an animal than either a man or Frey. Its sickly yellow eyes seemed too large for his head, and it loped along on short legs. With its hunched back and incredibly long arms, its claws dragged along the ground. The thing's skin was dark and leathery, and the ears were pointed, though much longer and sharper than those of any Frey. Worst of all was his mouth, which was filled with so many rows of needle-sharp teeth that it couldn't contain them all. They stuck out at odd angles, and Wraith wondered how the creature could eat without tearing its lip to pieces. But what a helpful fellow you are, opening the door for us like that, the nearest Frey said with a smile. His blonde hair was cropped shorter than Shigon's, his pointed ears standing out. Unlike Shigon, this Frey's shoulders were broad and his build muscular. Aggressive sky-blue eyes noted Wraith's every movement. Sorry, but you can't come in, Wraith said, standing in the center of the path and realizing just how stupid that sounded, even to himself. The short-haired Frey's smile became a grin. And why is that? Wraith didn't like the grin. The Frey had a gleeful, eager expression. He was hoping for trouble. Because I said so, Wraith let his hand settle on Shigon's sword. The Frey's eyes followed the movement and narrowed with interest. The rest of the party advanced and came to a stop behind the first, where they fanned out to get a better view. What do we have here? Another Frey said. Except for the giant, he was the tallest of the group. His hair reached his shoulders, but like all the Frey, he had no beard. A welcoming committee of one? On the contrary, the first replied. He says we can't come in. Can't? How rude. I mean, even for Rune, that's ill-mannered. And he has Shigon's sword. This revelation caught all their tensions. Looks surprised ran across their faces, followed by expressions of delight. So this is the famous god-killer we've heard so much about, the tall one said. Like all Frey, he had beautiful, delicate features, flawless skin, straight teeth, and those brilliant blue eyes. The entire group was relaxed. Wait back on their heels, shoulders loose, not a hand on a weapon. Wraith wasn't sure if he was pleased or worried about that. 
maybe they weren't here to fight. Or maybe, like Shigon, they knew he wasn't a threat. Tell the truth. Did you kill Shigon? The tall one asked. Yes, Wraith said. And I'll do the same to any Frey who tries to enter this doll. Well, well, aren't you a bold one? The tall Frey took a step closer, and Wraith realized they were the same height. Wraith glared back, refusing to blink. So you're a great warrior, then? Do you think you could kill me? He didn't reply. The Frey was sizing Wraith up, and he wanted to keep him ignorant. There are stories about you all along the road. I'm a little disappointed. I expected you to be... taller. The tales certainly are. The others laughed. Do you know who I am? The tall, long-haired Frey held his hands out, palms up, and slowly pivoted to give Wraith a full view. Sun glared off his brilliant armor, and the wind blew his golden hair. I'm Nifron, son of Zephron, leader of the Instaria tribe, and captain of the Galantians, these nice fellows with me. They are the elite of the Instaria, and as there are no greater warriors than the Frey, these Galantians are the best of the best. Being their leader, I suppose that makes you the best of the best of the best. Wraith spoke with a cavalier tone. He wanted to show he wasn't impressed, which was difficult since he was certain the Frey told the truth. Nifron shook his head. No, actually, I'm not. He clapped a short-haired Frey's shoulder. Sebek is. This brought a round of moans from the rest of the troop. Well, okay, each of us has specific fields of expertise, but... He paused, holding up a finger and glancing at the other. I'd still say Sebek is the best warrior overall. Anyone dispute that? Sebek grinned. No one said a word. Nifron returned his focus to Wraith. I suppose you think you're something special now that you've killed one of us? Before you get too full of yourself, look at the sword you carry. See all the fancy decorations on the hilt? The encrusted gems? Lovely, isn't it? Do you think that's a warrior's weapon? Shigon was a member of the Asindawir tribe, a hunter. They provide food for our kind. Although they're skilled trackers and excellent in forests and fields, they don't know much about real combat. That sword is merely decorative. A pretty toy. He received it as a gift from an admirer. Some idiot in Estromnodon who doesn't know the first thing about battle made it. Nifron drew his sword. He did it slowly, making a point not to threaten. Nevertheless, Wraith took a step back and gripped the hilt of his weapon more tightly. This, he presented his weapon, is Pontifex. One of the names we have for the wind. It's a custom-crafted, curved cleave I designed myself. Simple, short, and fast. Not as austere as the Sebek's more traditional twins, but as you can see, it's definitely not a toy. So tell me, Rune, do you think you can kill me? I'm not a Rune, I'm a man. Nephron smiled. The cheery, simple look disturbed Wraith more than anything that had happened so far. He didn't know what it meant. Let's find out exactly what you are. Go ahead, draw that pretty sword. Nifron waited until Wraith had his blade clear. And your shield, flip it on, we need to do this right. Wraith wasn't certain if it was a trick. The phrase saw his apprehension and took a step back, providing him room to safely arm himself. That's an odd shield, Sebek said, and glanced at Nifron. Did Shigon have a weird little decorative dirg shield? 
Yefron shrugged. Who knows? The Galantian leader also had a shield, and in one blindingly fast motion, moved it from his back to his forearm. The action was beyond impressive, like magic. Wraith couldn't help being intimidated, even as he realized that had been the point. The rest of the fray stepped back, and when they were both ready, Nifron bowed while touching the sword's pommel to his forehead. Wraith returned only a nod. He expected the same lethal speed as before and wasn't disappointed. Nifron was faster than Shigon, but not exceedingly so. If Wraith hadn't already faced a fray, if he hadn't seen the lightning-quick strikes before, he would have been dead in an instant. But Wraith was ready this time. He gave himself over to instinct and caught the stroke with his shield. He had no idea what to expect and was shocked when the power of Nifron's blow rang the metal and jarred the buckler from his grip. With no supporting strap, it fell to the grass. No protection, Sebek muttered. Just decorative. A following stroke was inevitable. Wraith acted in anticipation rather than reaction. Nifron struck, aiming to decapitate him. If Wraith had been an instant slower, he would have lost his head. His blade clashed with Nifron's, and Wraith feared a repeat of his failure with his father's copper. But as the metals kissed, Shigon's weapon, toy or not, held. Nifron wasn't one to pause. Momentum was in his favor, and he pressed hard, striking again, first low, then high. Wraith caught the strokes an instant before they would have cleaved off his leg and arm. He had no time to counterattack as the fray forced his advantage. He's fast, so incredibly fast. Wraith's brothers weren't this quick. They were brutes, big and heavy. Wraith was the swiftest among them, and he used that to his advantage. If they caught him, Wraith was beat, so he perfected his ability to dodge. Speed had made all the difference in the past. Speed and balance, but Nifron was better at both. Stretched to his limit, Wraith fell back, holding on to life by his fingertips as he managed to barely place his sword in the path of Nifron's hammering. The blades had no time to stop singing before the next toll sounded. Defeat was inevitable. Wraith only needed to make one mistake, and it wasn't long before he did. The fray's sword came across in a blinding sweep, and Wraith battered it aside, but with too much force. He lost precious time recovering his balance and wouldn't be able to catch the next stroke. From somewhere behind Wraith came a gasp of fear. He wasn't the only one to see what was coming. In anticipation of the killing blow, he gritted his teeth. Miraculously, Nifron slowed. The fray looked up, distracted by something near the doll's gate. Something behind Wraith. The lack of concentration was brief, but enough. Knowing he couldn't counter Nifron's attack, Wraith didn't bother. Instead, he made a dangerous gamble. For the first time, Wraith went on the offensive. He swung down instead of across. They would trade blows, blood for blood. The move might have worked, but the fray raised his shield. Another first. Before his stroke was through, Wraith was already shifting for his next. He had the upper hand now and intended to keep it. Spinning, Wraith cut upward. Nifron was forced to dodge. Again and again, Wraith pressed his attack, knowing he couldn't allow the fray to catch his composure or the tide would turn again. Wraith hammered his opponent, desperate to weaken the strength in Nifron's arm. Sweat formed on the fray's brow, and his gleaming eyes weren't so bright. Remembering his brother's tactics, Wraith moved in close to mitigate the fray's ability to dart clear of attacks. When he saw his chance, Wraith stomped down hard on his opponent's foot. Surprise flashed on Nifron's face, and Wraith took the opportunity to punch him hard in the jaw with the hilt of Shigon's sword. The Galantian staggered backward, stunned and off balance. Blood dripped from his chin, and his shield lowered. 
seeing his one clear chance to win, Wraith stabbed out. Wraith's attack was parried away. A second stroke hit the hilt of Shikon's sword, breaking Wraith's grip and throwing the weapon to the ground. Sebek stood before him, holding a cleave in each hand, violence in his eyes. Bold, confident, powerful. Despite Malcolm's assurances, Wraith believed that what stood before him was indeed a god. He waited, but Sebek didn't advance. He merely stood with one foot on Shigon's sword. Nifron was bent over, panting for breath and wiping blood and sweat from his eyes. Wraith, also struggling for air, took a step back and drew his father's hunting knife. It wasn't much, but it was slightly better than Hergrimer's broken blade. Of course, how fitting that I'll die holding the same knife. The gods are nothing if not poetic. Nefron waved a dismissive hand at them both. We're done. What does we're done mean? Is this where they kill me? Wraith didn't mind the break. He needed a rest. The chance to clear his eyes and take in much needed air was welcome. Waiting for what would come next, Wraith glanced behind him to see what had distracted Nifron. Persephone and Malcolm stood together, watching wide-eyed from the open gate. Persephone had hands over her mouth. Malcolm appeared just as apprehensive, but managed to offer Wraith an improving smile. How did you learn to fight like that? Nifron asked. My father taught me. Your father? He glanced at Sebek. Did you see? Sebek nodded. Hard not to. My father fought in the High Spear campaigns, Wraith explained. He was taught by your people. He wasn't taught by my people, Nifron said. He was taught by my father. Those are his techniques. Wraith didn't know what to say. He decided nothing was the best course and focused on breathing. Whatever came next, he would need air. Why did you do it? Nifron asked, and then spit a bit of blood. Why did you kill Shigon? Was it for sport? To see if you could? To test your mettle? Wraith shook his head. I thought you heard the stories. He killed my father. That was true? Nifron looked surprised. Killed him right in front of me. Nifron stared hard at Wraith, and for another long moment, no one moved or spoke. Then, the freight nodded as if understanding something. The thing is, Shigon was a breedeth and mere. I've heard that about him. If it wasn't forbidden, I'd have killed him centuries ago. Nifron ran an absent hand through his long hair and looked at the sword beside Sebek's foot. Give it back to him. He's earned it. So, we're going again? Wraith asked. No. Nifron held up his free hand as he sheathed his sword. I found out what I wanted to know, which was, that is possible. What is, for a ruin to kill a fray? Glad to have helped. Can we come in now? Sorry, Wraith shook his head. Not very courteous of you. Neither slaughtering thousands of people and burning down Dorea and Nadak. Nifron nodded. You make a good point. But would it make a difference if I told you we, he gestured toward his group, had nothing to do with that. In fact, we're outlaws, rebels, because we refuse to take part in that reprehensible affair. We went against the edicts of our ruler and declined to butcher defenseless ruins. We're in flight, like you, and from the same pursuers. If you have been offered shelter, couldn't we receive the same? Wraith was stunned. He had imagined the conversation going differently. It's, uh... Not my decision to make. He turned to look at Persephone again. She blinked and nodded. It would appear the lady approves, Wraith said. Welcome to Dalren. Wonderful. Where is Marcus? Marcus? 
he's the leader here. This time, Persephone spoke from the shelter of the open gate. Chieftain Marcus was... Uh, uh, he He's dead. He's been dead for uh, 70 years, I think. He was my husband's great-great-grandfather. Oh, Lepron said. Well, do you still make that marvelous wine? The pale red one with a hint of nuts? I boasted about it all the way here. There was a vineyard once up on the slope of Horn Ridge, Persephone said, but it was lost a drought decades ago. Lefron scowled. Doesn't anything last in his place? Hardship, Persephone replied. You've always had an abundance of that. The god looked directly at her. Their eyes met, and he smiled. With a nod, he replied, Well, at least you have that. <laughs>